Good morning. Good morning to those of you joining us online this morning. My name is Bradley Erickson. I'm filling in for Charles Gwynn uh, while the Gwynns are supposed to be on vacation. Um, and I just want to say this morning I'm thankful to God uh, uh, for bring, him bringing Autumn through s- the surgery this week. And I pray for her continued healing and I also pray for the, the grief that their family is suffering. And I hope that we can share uh, this burden with them and lift them up uh, during this time. I also want to thank you uh, for allowing me this opportunity to speak this morning and share a message with you. It's, it's always challenging um, and a little nerve-wracking, and it, it doesn't really get any easier each time I do it. And I, I'm really awed at um, how guys like Charles and Larry can get up here every week. Um, so we're continuing the sermon series uh, leading up to Christmas entitled, He Shall Be Called. And this is a series based on a verse uh, often traditionally read aloud this time of year, Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. So if you're willing and able, would you stand with me while we read? For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of the armies will accomplish this. You may be seated. Last week, Charles spoke about the title Wonderful Counselor, and I encourage you to go back and watch that. You can, you can find it online on the church's website or on YouTube, and just listen to it in case you missed it. And this morning, we'll be examining the next title for the Messiah in this list, Mighty God. As we get closer to Christmas and celebrating the birth of Jesus, the question that comes up here would be, is Jesus really the Mighty God? And the answer to this question is at the heart of Christianity. It's something the Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Muslims, and all the other cults get wrong. So it's important that we get it right. Let's open with prayer. Heavenly Father, we just lift up your name this morning. We praise you and worship you and honor you. We thank you for the the worship this morning, the music, and the uplifting words that raise our hearts towards you. God, I ask that you be with me this morning. Help me to speak clearly and boldly. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if you you would uh, turn with me in your Bibles to John 8, starting in verse 31, and we'll begin reading there this morning. As Jesus was saying these things, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We are descendants of Abraham, they answered him, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? Jesus responded, 
Truly, I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you, are, you really will be free. I know you are descendants of Abraham, but you are trying to kill me because of my word has no place among you. I speak what I have seen in the presence of the Father, so then you do what you have heard from your father. Our father is Abraham, they replied. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus told them, you would do what Abraham did. But now you are trying to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God, Abraham did not do this. You're doing what your father does. We weren't born of sexual immorality, they said. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. Because I came from God and I am here. For I didn't come on my own, but he sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? Because you cannot listen to my words. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature. Because he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Who among you can convict me of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? The one who is from God listens to God's words. This is why you don't listen, because you are not from God. The Jews responded to him, Aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? I do not have a demon, Jesus answered. On the contrary, I honor my father and you dishonor me. I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and judges. Truly, I tell you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Then the Jews said, Now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. You say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you claim to be? If I glorify myself, Jesus answered, my glory is nothing. My father about whom you say he is our God, he is the one who glorifies me. You do not know him, but I know him. If I were to say I don't know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. The Jews replied, You aren't 50 years old yet, and you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden. And went out of the temple. So I just want to walk through these verses quickly this morning. So we understand what exactly is going on. Jesus is teaching in the temple near the treasury. This would be instruction in a courtyard that's around 200 by 200 feet. So it's a pretty sizable space. And we're coming in mid-conversation. So by this time I imagine he's attracted a crowd. As folks enter the temple to give or to uh, do sacrifices, he's speaking to them, and he's already said some incredible things to the Jewish people listening to him, including one of the famous I am statements, I am the light of the world. If you read the whole passage from verses 12 to where we are starting in 31, 
There's more of this back and forth between Jesus and his listeners, including the Pharisees. Jesus makes claims and challenges the people. They push back on his word, trying to figure out just who this guy who is speaking to them is. And throughout this, Jesus' claims continue to grow stronger. And the way he challenges his audience intensifies, and we see the response intensify until the final resounding crescendo in verse 59, so they picked up stones to throw at him. Jesus' first major claim in this section is, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free, in reference to really being his disciple. And their answer may seem strange at first, because they claim as descendants of Abraham that they have never been enslaved to anyone, which is historically false, of course. From the 400-ish years in Egypt to the exile in Babylon, they have been enslaved. And they are currently under the rule of Rome and not a free nation at all. Some commentators feel that this is more about them expressing a fundamental about their worldview. It's more of an attitude of no one can keep us down or no one can hold us back. It doesn't matter our political situation. As descendants of Abraham, we will always be free men. But Jesus jumps to the heart of the matter because he's not talking about politics. Truly, I truly, 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 I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. He's identifying them not by their heritage, not who their father was or grandfather or great-great-great-great-grandfather, but by who they serve. What they act out is a reflection of their hearts. You see, a slave can be put out of the house. A servant can be fired. But the heir, the son, he is a permanent part of the household. He has the inheritance and privileges of the house. And Jesus says, you aren't part of the household. I can see by your actions that you don't belong. You seek to kill me. And then he associates himself with the son by talking about the father. He says, I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. He's saying we're not from the same place, and we're not the same family. And they just restate their original claim again. Our father is Abraham. So Jesus pushes back harder. He says, if you were Abraham's children, you would do what Abraham did. Abraham welcomed the messengers of God. He didn't try to kill them. But Jesus says, you're doing what your father does. And here they get offended, self-righteous. We weren't born of sexual immorality. Some commentaries mention that this may just be a a personal dig at Jesus' birth here. Maybe something like, we know who our father is, unlike you. And so they escalate in their self-righteousness. We have one father, God. Before they were just a sense of Abraham, just a moment ago, but now they've upped to Annie and claim to be the children of God. And of course, this is where Jesus has been steering the dialogue the whole time. So he tears the roof off their claim. 
I've been sent by God, and if God were really your father, you would see that and you would love me. You can't even listen to what I say, much less understand it. And I'm sure you could hear a ripple through the crowd at this next firecracker statement. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. And what are the devil's desires? Murders, lies, the father of lies, he is called. So this had to be like a slap in the face to these people. This is the most plainly Jesus has spoken in this conversation. There's no couching meaning and metaphor. Again, Jesus can see into their hearts. He can see the plans that they wish to carry out, and he calls them on it. He reveals the origin of their desires, who they really f- serve, whose house they really belong to. And they don't have anything left at this point but ad hominem attacks. You're a Samaritan, you have a demon. Jesus maintains his push. I do not have a demon, Jesus answered. On the contrary, I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and judges. Truly, I tell you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. You see the crescendo building? He's not only offering freedom, but eternal life. They respond with, no one will see death. Well, Abraham died, and the prophets died. Are you greater than them then? Who do you actually claim to be? And as he draws the discussion to a close, Jesus weaves all of these themes together to provoke one final question. He says, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. My Father, about whom you say, he is our God. He is the one who glorifies me. You do not know him, but I know him. If I were to say I don't know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. And then they ask it. You aren't 50 years old yet, and you've seen Abraham? Jesus replies, Before Abraham was, I am. This is what we would call today a mic drop statement. In my mind's eye, he doesn't shout these words or whisper them, but this truth is spoken with such a steel clarity that the force of those five words is absorbed by even the very stones of the temple. Silence descends for a moment across the courtyard, even to the people out of earshot on the far side. And while the seconds pass, everyone captures their breath as each syllable sinks in, like a hammer smashing against an anvil and splashing hot sparks all around. And those sparks ignite violence. Verse 59 says, So they picked up stones to throw at him. Why is this such an explosive statement? Why this response? To the 21st century man, I am is something we embrace wholeheartedly. Everyone in our culture has an I am, right? We all have an identity, and it is the paramount of our being. So what's the big deal? To understand this statement, we need to understand the title from Isaiah 9-6 and know who is the mighty God. 
What does it mean to be called mighty God? The Hebrew used for this title in Isaiah is El Gabor. El meaning God, while Gabor means powerful. And by implication, a warrior, champion, strong or valiant man. So what do we know about the power of God? The Old Testament alone is a treasure trove of the works and wonders of God. So I'm just going to rapid fire, read some verses from throughout it, especially from Psalms. And I didn't make slides for these, so you can jump with your Bibles with me or just listen. Let me tell you about the mighty God. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. Isaiah 6.1 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorways shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. Psalm 19, 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day they pour out speech. Night after night they communicate knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words. Their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to the whole earth, and their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun. Psalm 93.1 says, The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed, enveloped in strength. The world is firmly established. It cannot be shaken. Your throne has been established from the beginning. You are from eternity. The floods have lifted up, Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their pounding waves. Greater than the roar of a huge torrent, the mighty breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is majestic. The Lord, your testimonies are completely reliable. Holiness adorns your house for all the days to come. Psalm 65, 6 says, You establish the mountains by your power. You are robed with strength. You silence the roar of the seas, the roar of the waves, and the tumult of the nations. Those who live far away are awed by your signs. You make east and west shout for joy. Psalm 66, 1, Let the whole earth shout joyfully to God. Sing about the glory of his name. Make his Praise glorious. Say to God, how awe-inspiring are your works. Your enemies will cringe because of your great strength. The whole earth will worship you and sing praise to you. They will sing praise to your name. Come and see the wonders of God. His acts for humanity are awe-inspiring. He turned the sea into dry land and they crossed the river on foot. They, there we rejoiced in him. He rules forever by his might. He keeps his eyes on the nations. The rebellious should not exalt themselves. Our God Bless our God, you peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. Keep us alive. He keeps us alive and does not allow our feet to slip. Psalm 68.1 says, God arises. His enemies scatter, and those who hate him flee from his presence. As smoke is blown away, so you blow them away. As wax melts before the fire, so the wicked are destroyed before God. 
but the righteous are glad. They rejoice before God and celebrate with joy. Sing to God, sing praises to his name, exalt him who rides on the clouds. His name is the Lord and celebrate before him. God in his holy dwelling is a father of the fatherless and a champion of widows. God provides homes for those who are deserted. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious live in his scorched land. Blessed be the day of the Lord, day after day he bears our burdens. God is our salvation. Our God is a God of salvation and escape from death belongs to the Lord, my Lord. The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the many coasts and islands be glad. Clouds and total darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his foes on every side. His lightning lights up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness. All the peoples see his glory. But you, Lord, are enthroned forever. Your fame endures to all generations. You will rise up and have compassion on Zion, for it is time to show favor to her. The appointed time has come. Creator, sustainer, eternal master, the reigning king, God of justice, the holy one whose name is awe-aspiring, the mighty king, Lord of armies, deliverer, mountain melter. He wears strength as robes and is clothed in majesty, the trustworthy, the faithful, Redeemer, our salvation, our fortress, our rock, our champion. These images and deeds and titles of God are wrapped up in the mind of the second century Jew as the essence of the mighty God. And when Jesus in John chapter 8 says, Before Abraham was, I am, he is not just describing a matter of eternal being, though that implication is there. He is making an allusion to a moment when God's identity was questioned. In Exodus, Moses goes before a burning bush in the wilderness, a bush that is on fire but isn't consumed by the fire. And he's called by God to lead the people of Israel out of slavery. Exodus 3.13 says, Then Moses asked God, If I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, What is his name? What should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. When Jesus says, I am, this is his claim. He is the God who is, who is from the beginning, eternal. The mighty God, creator and sustainer of our world. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And this is why they pick up the stones to kill him right there. For a second century Jew, there is no greater heresy that can be spoken, no more blasphemous acclaim. The crowd understood exactly what he was saying, and responded accordingly. 
Don't let anyone tell you Jesus never claims to be God. I've seen videos online making this claim, and it's pure bunk, a fabrication. Jesus is being very explicit here, and the Gospels are littered with other both explicit and implicit claims of deity by Jesus. In fact, in the earliest written gospel, Mark 14.62, during Jesus' trial, he continues to make these claims, and it is used as an excuse to condemn him to death and hang him on a cross. Not only does Jesus claim it, but the men who followed him, devout Jews themselves, back up the claim. They testify not only to the miracles he performed, but to his lordship and deity. John 20, verse 24 says, But Thomas, called twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, If I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. A week later, his disciples were indoors again and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Thomas responded to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. John begins his gospel with, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be the children of God. To those who believe in his name, who are born not of natural descent, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 1, In these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, so he became superior to the angels, just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs." Paul says in Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And later in chapter 2, verse 9, for the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. And you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. And not only did Jesus die for his claims, but his followers suffered and died to defend that same claim. 
So where does that leave us? Was Jesus Lord? I've made a little limited argument that he claimed to be so and was so. But Christianity offers much broader evidences than time allows this morning. C.S. Lewis wrote about a famous postulation called Lord, Liar, and Lunatic in his book, Mere Christianity, where he said, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying that the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on the level of a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now it seems to me obvious that he was either a lunatic or a fiend, and he was neither a lunatic or a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. And Lewis is right, we must all make a decision about the claims of Jesus, and the implications of this decision can be terrifying. The book of Revelation describes the mighty God, a God of vengeance, Lord of armies, returning to judge all nations and people. We will all stand before his terrible reckoning and give an account of our lives. As slaves to sin, what do we have to look forward to but to be turned out from the house into the inner outer darkness? But remember, Jesus came to offer hope. Not only to the crowd at the temple, but to you and I today. He came to offer sonship, an inheritance, freedom from slavery through the cross, and life eternal. Romans 8.14 says, For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption. By whom we cry out, Abba, Father. I just want to close this morning by reading from the famous Christmas carol, written originally by Charles Wesley in, in 1739. We, we sang a version of it actually this morning. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. With the angelic host proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate Deity, pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel.